So turn your Bibles with me to um, Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to just want to say I did listen to the podcast of Devin's teaching last week, and he did a great job. If you missed it as well, um, try to catch that. He did, a, he did a really good job, and then you'll be, you won't miss anything in this series. Um, yeah, anyway, I, just, I, just, I don't know. I just wanted to highlight our, our, our partnership or, or a close relationship with Great Commission Bible Institute. Um, they, they do a great job down there. If you've got a young person who is getting to the stage where they're thinking about what's next, um, you can go anywhere to learn how to make a living. Um, but if you spend a, a year studying the Word of God, you can learn how to live. And, and that's really, really important. So I'm glad I spent a, spent a year or two or three um, in Bible college, and so I would encourage that for anybody who's thinking about it. Um, let's, come, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we, as we approach His Word. Heavenly Father, Oh, we're humbled to approach your word. Every time we open it, we find more truth, and we're confronted with more things that we struggle to live in accordance with. God, I pray that that disconnect would not not create a... uh, distance between us and your word, but that we would lean into that and that the discomfort that we find in that would, would prod us on to do the hard work of bringing our sinful hearts into alignment with the new creation that you have made us, fashioning us in the likeness of your son. God, we thank you so much for the amazing work that we have gotten to see you do in so many arenas. And I I think specifically um, in in your your healing touch on uh, on Kara's life, on Kara's body. God, we just thank you so much. It is baffling to me things that doctors are able to do. Um, But you are the one who made our bodies. The doctors can cut and stitch and all the things that they do, but but you are the one that knits our fibers back together. And your healing power is unfathomable to us. And we thank you so much for that. God, I know there there are others who are are facing physical um, things or surgeries or... um, complications and things like that and God we just lift those lift those up before you and we know we know that you can do it and we pray that you would God it seems a strange thing but we thank you for trials we thank you for times in our life where we where we suffer because it's those seasons that teach us the truth of this song we just sang. We need you every hour. Every hour we need you. God, it's so true. If we're ever to find our rest in you, we have to constantly depend on you. And God, we know that in your goodness and in your mercy, you will not leave us in a perpetual state of suffering. But in those seasons, God, I pray that we would learn what you have for us that our lives going forward would be richer and our relationship with you closer. Thank you so much for your work in our lives that you don't quit on us, you don't give up on us. You are always at work refining our character. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have you found Hebrews chapter 4? I haven't, but I think I have a bookmark, so I'm going to cheat a little bit. We go. All right, Hebrews chapter four. We are um, la- last week. Um, Devin talked about um, the chapter three. How Jesus is greater than Moses, and that is certainly a statement that would get any Jewish person's attention. Uh, he, he made that point. You talk about Moses. You talk about Abraham. You talk about David. 
and make any kind of favorable comparison um, with anyone else, you are going to have their attention and maybe rocks thrown at you. Um, Jesus certainly uh, had people attempt that at different times. And so, um, and so we want to... I'm actually going to back up into chapter 3 to, to read this whole, um, this whole idea um, so that we can kind of couch the whole thing. And so if you'll, you'll start with me in chapter 3 and verse 7. Um, we're going to start reading here. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and they said, and, and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed, our, if indeed we hold our original con confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Man, that feels like an invitation, doesn't it? Today, if you hear his voice. The day of salvation is today. The day of repentance is today. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay, now we're going to start chapter 4. But that's really, it's so important that we get that, that the distinction between those that get to experience God's rest and those that do not ultimately get to experience God's rest, it is belief or unbelief. So going on to chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day, from all his works. And again, in the passage, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that, one day, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God always blesses the reading of his word. We are going to talk today about Sabbath rest and what what that is. What is this rest that he's talking about? And so we need to we need to back up all the way to the beginning because 
he is writing, you know, just these 13 verses in chapter 4. He's writing these to a very Jewish audience. He's writing these to people with a very high familiarity with their own history and with the law and with Sabbath regulations and things like that and where it came from and why they do it. They knew all of that, and we have some idea of what that's about. And so I think it's important. I mean, he, in the writers of Hebrews here, um, starting in verse 4, I mean, he starts, that's Genesis chapter 2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. In fact, Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so he's starting in the very beginning. That rest, God's rest, begins at the beginning. God rested from his work because his work was completed. We're going to circle back to what that means. Um, but, but see, in Genesis chapter 3, God shows us that rest is achieved when the work is done. Can we all agree on that? Rest is achieved when the work is done. Well, we need to, we need to fill in some gaps here with uh, some of our knowledge that, um, that is lacking. So let's look at Exodus. Um, you don't need to turn there if you don't like, uh, but if you're real quick on the trigger, you can. Um, but uh, if you're if you're going to get lost, just stay in chapter four of Hebrews um, because we'll be coming back to that. Um, Exodus chapter twenty, uh, starting in verse eight, it says, "Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God." On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is, with, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, again, later in, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 23, that, that Sabbath rest idea gets extended. Okay, so it's, it's to you, it's to your children, it's to your employees, it's to, it's to people visiting, everybody. And now it's extended even to the land itself. Chapter 23 and verse 10, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. As far as we know, there, there is a pretty good case we made that Israel never did that. That one there, to, to, to let the land rest on a seventh year, as far as we know, it never happened. And one of the reasons we, we believe that is because as we look at prophecy, um, the prophecy of, of the exile and the captivity where they would all be carted off to Assyria and Babylon and they would remain there for, for so many years. As, as they were, Daniel was looking at the prophecies and, and Nehemiah was, would have been a contemporary at that time. They're, they're looking at the, at the scrolls and reading and realizing, hey, wait a minute, God is letting the land rest for all the years we didn't let it rest. And that number of years is almost up. And we need to prepare our hearts because the time to return is coming. They were even to let the land rest because when you're a farmer, the land works for you. Not like the farmer's job is easy. The farmer's work is never done. Um, and so, so in, in, in these things, so, so God shows us that rest is achieved when the work is done. And then God commands weekly rest to show us our own inability to do it all and reminds us that we need him. That, that's important. When you're talking about an agrarian society, farmers, and you tell them you, uh, you have to take a day off. Well, the farmer's work is never finished. So there's always something that needs done on the farm. I used to live next door to some farmers, and I used to love sitting out in our sun porch with the windows, sipping my coffee, watching the farmers work. It was great. Dad, you grew up on a farm. You probably can't, uh, probably, didn't, probably don't appreciate that. <laughs> um, 
But, but, that, but that, that forced rest every week, it was a rhythm in their lives, and it was, this re, it was supposed to be this reminder where they paused and had to realize that all of their provision comes from God. Just like with the, with the manna in the desert, God provided it. In fact, he provided it, I mean, he provided it every day, and even to the extent that one day a week, you're not going to go collect it. But he's going to provide enough the day before. All your provision comes from God. All of your needs are met by God. And when God tells you to rest, you can trust him that your needs will still also be met. Rest. One of the reasons, obviously, is that God knows we are limited in our capacity and we need rest. We don't have the energy. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability to just go, 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 go. What is the thing that happens to people who go nonstop, what happens to them? They burn out. That is a word we hear a lot, and, um, and we see it. Burnout. Because we need rest. We are limited, and, and forcing us to rest with the, with the Sabbath is God's way of reinforcing that and reminding us, you are not unlimited. You have limits. We need to humble ourselves and accept that. Deuteronomy 15, as a, you know, we're not, we don't actually have to do all of, you know what, we don't have to, we don't have time to cover that. Deuteronomy 15 is an entire chapter on a bunch of specifics about, about Sabbath and all of the uh, kind of regulations, what you can't do and, and what needs to um, happen on the Sabbath or not happen on the Sabbath. Uh, I, I love, it is very interesting to me. It is not just for you. You rest and uh, one day a week make your kids do all the work. Or make your wife do all the work. Nope. Make your servants do all the work. Nope. They get a day off too. Make your animals do all Nope. They get a day off too. Make the land. Nope. That gets a year off too. Um, God's, God's provision comes from God's hand. <clears throat> Let's look at it before, as we kind of unpack this, let's look at work, work and rest in our lives today. There's a lot of different kinds of work. Most of us are not farmers. Um, some of you may have grown up around farms, near farms. If you've driven around central Florida um, towards either coast, you're going to drive through some farms. So certainly we've all seen them. Um, but most of our work looks different than that. Um, but when you boil it down into some basic categories, I, I came up with three. And there's probably more, but I think we can fit most of our work into three categories. Um, providing for self and family. One way or another. Food, shelter, clothing, etc. Whether you're in ancient times and you're having to build that shelter, or you're in modern times and you're having to pay for that shelter. Whether you're growing your food or buying your food, or um, making clothing or buying clothing, providing for yourself and your family is a big piece of our work. Um, how about, there, but there's work, um, there's work you don't get paid for. Some of us call it participating in the household, uh, that, you know, those of us that have children that we're trying to instill some responsibility in. Um, chores. Uh, just kind of, that's just kind of a category of just stuff that needs done. You're not getting paid for it, but it is work and it does need done. You know, this could, this is working on the house. This is doing, yeah, this is, Cleaning, organizing, decorating. No, sorry, I just said that for Kara. Um, uh, you know, all, all of these kind of things just need, they just need done because everything in our lives tends to disorder and fall apart. Um, chores, that's a kind of work. Um, and then one other that I thought of was self-improvement. There's, there's work that we do on ourselves where we, we spend time you know, developing, um, and maybe this doesn't feel like work, or, or maybe if you're not a morning person like me and you're determined to uh, make yourself one, that's work. Or maybe it's resisting some sort of temptation in your life and that's work. Or maybe it's just developing a discipline in another area, learning a new skill. Developing a new, you know, skill set, you know, whatever. These kinds of, these kinds of self-improvement, there's, there's work involved in that. There's work involved in that kind of thing. And so self-improvement, these are, um, it's another kind of work. 
And, and so as there are different kinds of work, there's also different kinds of rest. And so I, I listed off some of those. Uh, the first and most obvious is sleep. That's the one that um, most of us have done the most recently. <clears throat> we sleep. We are such finite creatures that we have to spend about a third of every day laying down with our eyes closed. Because we have limits. Very hard and fast limits. And so we need sleep. Are you thankful that God doesn't need sleep? He's always watchful over us. Weekends. Thank God for weekends. He Did he not establish this in the beginning? You shall take a day off. You know, I mean, this, the Bible had weekends way before it was cool. Um, and so... So we all have the Jewish people to thank for breaking some new ground on that. Weekends are a kind of rest in, in, our, in our lives and pretty much, pretty much everywhere you go, unless, of course, you're an entrepreneur. Um, that, an entrepreneur, if you don't know what that is, that's someone who will work 80 hours a week to avoid having to work for someone else for 40 hours a week. Um, but weekends are a regular rhythm in our lives where we, we pause from our regular work and we get to do some of the things that we enjoy, whether it's spending time with family or, or whatnot. But it's a kind of, it's a kind of rest. Uh, vacations. Hopefully you've all taken some of these. You hear about, we, yeah, I'm taking a vacation in like 10 years. Like That's not probably good for you. But a vacation is a time where you kind of step away from your regular life and you maybe you go and you do some traveling and you see some things and you have some different experiences and you, you just you rest and you do things as a family. Even if you have activities in that, even if it's a hiking trip, it's rest in a way. Rest for your soul, maybe. Um, and I thought of a couple others, you know, after maybe after finishing a project or um, getting a project to where it's usable and therefore finished, uh, like my kitchen project where I removed the wall. It is usable and therefore finished. No. <laughs> we'll paint it sometime. Um, <clears throat> that is my, my mom's standard line. Usable is finished. Um, but, but after finishing a project, you, you put the tools away and you clean up from it and you Sit down and rest your tired bones and you admire your work and you're glad that it's done and there may be other projects on the horizon, but you pause and you rest from your work there that is done and you kind of enjoy the satisfaction of a job well done and that's finished. Um, another that I thought of um, as I was jotting those down is uh, a leave of absence or maybe medical leave. Uh, my family has experienced some of this recently or, or at least light duty as they say in the warehouse world. Um, where, where the, there may be a season in your life where you have to take a step back from your regular responsibilities, forcibly or voluntarily, and there's a time of rest. After all of these kinds of rests, we always return to our work. And that's, that's the key thing here. All of those kinds of work Providing, chores, self-improvement, those are never done. We, even if we rest from them, we always come back to them. And all of these kinds of rest, we, we take this rest and then we return to our work. Because usually, when we have rested, the work has piled up while we were gone. Or you get home from vacation and you feel like you need a vacation from vacation. We all, we all feel that. Um, and, and now your workload is heavier because you weren't there to do it the whole time you were gone. There is another kind of work that we engage in that we see in Scripture, um, and that would be works of righteousness. Or maybe a better way to say it is achieving righteous merit before God. Jesus offers eternal rest from this work. This rest is the result of imputed righteousness. And this, this is the beautiful thing. This is what, um, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. This is, um, and we're going to look at some other passages where Jesus talks about this. And this is one of the most powerful and beautiful things about the Christian life. The rest 
from striving after a righteousness that is always beyond our grasp. That is the rest, the eternal rest that Jesus offers here. And so this is, this is the result of imputed righteousness. That means, that means given or applied to someone else's account. It has been imputed. That is not a word you will probably use this week unless you are discussing this. Um, but <clears throat> imputed righteousness is what we get from Jesus. Jesus takes, he, he is our substitute, substitutionary atonement. He took our sins from us, our debts on himself and paid them. And not just that, he also gave us, applied to our account, his righteousness that he achieved. It's like switching the names on two bank accounts, but it's way more than banking. It's eternity, and it's standing before God. Imputed righteousness is the reason we can rest. It's, it is the rest for God's people. Imputed righteousness means that's already taken care of. That's already been achieved. And so that striving after righteousness, that bearing, bearing up underneath this heavy burden of a standard of holiness you will never achieve, that you have been given rest from through the completed work of Jesus Christ. And so as, as, we, as we look at this, I, I want to be clear. Those that are saved, those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ for our substitute atonement and our righteousness before God, are certainly still called to holy living and good works, but for a different reason. I mean, didn't the Apostle Paul wrote, um, you know, good works that, that were prepared for you beforehand that you should walk in them? We should, we should want to, and here's the thing, the, the, the reason is different, the motivation behind the, the, the holy living and righteous living is different, because now rather than achieving righteous merit before God, now we work just to represent Him in the world. We work to express our desire to live like people who belong to Him. I want to be really clear about this, we're not debtors trying to pay him back for what he's done. We're forgiven and adopted, and we want to express thankfulness for all he's done for us. That, that, it may look on the outside very similar, the person who is striving for their own righteousness and the person that is, that is living, living as if they belong to God. Outwardly, that may look very similar, but inwardly, the heart motivation is completely different. One has rest, and the other has no rest. Because if we are trying to achieve our own righteous merit before God, well, we've already messed that up. And so, since we know that no one is without sin, um, that is not possible for us. It would be like trying to pay back a debt that was more than you could possibly ever make in a lifetime. You could strive after it all you wanted. You could live under the weight of that all you wanted, but it wouldn't matter. You could never actually pay that. And so it's not that we are debtors that owe God a debt that we must pay back. No, we are, we are his children who have been forgiven and adopted. Shouldn't we want to live in a way that is expressing thankfulness for that? Let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and 12. If you, uh, if you want to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 25 here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, there's two, there's two things recorded here that Jesus talks about, and, and they're, they're put next to each other on purpose because they are talking about the same thing. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, or for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Because pastors got to work on Sundays. Somebody's got to work in the temple. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And they wanted to kill him for that because they knew that in calling himself the Son of Man and calling himself Lord of the Sabbath, he was claiming to be God. But, but what, let's look at what he's saying here. If you want to back up here and look at, look at chapter 11, uh, verse 28, 29, and 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is talking, and if you look at that whole context, he is talking very obviously about all of the regulations that the Pharisees have, have placed on the shoulders of the people. They've gathered up heavy burdens for others to bear. And the goal of all of these regulations was to, was to as perfectly as possible, keep everyone um, keeping the law. You see, the, the Pharisees, this mindset kind of came out of you know, the, the, the exile and captivity and then the return, and the, the Pharisees were like, okay, look, here's the thing. Uh, we got taken over and carted off into captivity and spent some miserable long periods of time out of the country and oppressed by other people because of our not keeping the Sabbath. Okay, to be clear, that's not the only thing. Um, there was like some idol worship and things like that. Um, but they, but they, they zeroed in on that. They were like, all right, we've got the law. Here's the thing. We are not going to screw this up again. This is one thing. God clearly cares a lot about, we are going to get this right. And so they, I mean, they, it wasn't just like church rules. Remember, like this was, this was also civil society. I mean, we as a society, I'm not going to break the Sabbath and you're not either. Because we don't want that to happen again. That's the, that's the mindset. But, but or that's kind of how they got there. But the thing is, it, it, was, it was completely devoid of any spirit of the law. It was all letter of the law. The regulations for this rest were a heavy burden. Can, can anyone see irony in this? There is a prescribed rest for God's people that has become the biggest chore for God's people. Their whole, I mean, I can now say this. I have been in Jerusalem on a Sabbath and... Anything you want to do on Friday, you had better do before lunch because everybody goes home at like 2 p.m., gets off of work at lunchtime and like got to get ready for tomorrow because can't do it. There's like, I mean, they're still doing it, just so you know. They are still doing it. The public transportation didn't even run on Saturday. You, you know, you were walking. This, this rest had become a work. The, the rest from your work had become a work of righteousness. 
I, I want us to see this so clearly that like this is not what the Sabbath was for and that's what Jesus is talking about. I, son of man, am Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You guys have got it all wrong. This is not what that, what that is for. Sabbath is a time when you rest. Reflect on your own limitations. You reflect on what God has done for you. A couple of thoughts on this passage. First, as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus decides what's okay to do or not do on the Sabbath. I mean, they didn't, the Pharisees did not see, could not see that he was God. But how ridiculous this scene where they are telling God who made the rule how he ought to observe the rule. <laughs> oh man, and immortalized in uh, eternal scriptures for us to continually be reminded as priest, when we read about this, we're going to get into this in the next couple of chapters of Hebrews. As priest, Jesus is exempt from Sabbath restrictions regarding his ministry anyway. You know, you look here in, in chapter 4, he, he, uh, or in, uh, in, the, in the Matthew passage, he, he talks about how, like, it, it, you notice the priests who profane the Sabbath by working in the temple because somebody's got to work in the temple. He's like, well... Um, I mean, he's not saying this, but it, it turns out he's a greater priest, and he's better than the temple, and all of that. And so even if those were the restrictions, they wouldn't apply to him anyway. As the one whose righteous merits provide true rest to his people, he must work during the appointed time so that we can rest with him for eternity. And along with that, as the one outside of time, whose work of righteousness has been complete since the beginning, he exists in a state of rest, having already achieved the righteous merit. I want us to look back. Um, you, don't, you don't turn there, but that passage in, um, in Genesis... Uh, you know what, I'm going to turn there. You, you don't need to turn it. I'll turn there really quick. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. We read that and think he's ta we're, ta we're talking about the, um, the hard work of speaking everything into existence. No, all the work that he had done. Remember, remember what God invented on like day two? Time. He made everything in the beginning. Past, present, and future. When he writes, when we have the, the record in Revelation, that is not... For us, it is what will be. For God, he's just telling us what happens. He, he, he did it all. All of it. He, he came to redeem us. He came back for us. He judged sin. All of it, he did all of the work. And within that, he also uh, created time so that we could experience it gradually. This is some sci-fi mind-bending stuff for you, okay? I watch a lot of Star Trek, okay? <clears throat> but in all seriousness, we see this in other parts of Scripture too, that his work was completed from the beginning. And so he rests. He is at rest. Think, think about that. We don't serve a God who is scrambling around to handle all the problems that we face in our lives, the unexpected things that come up that we didn't know, and maybe he didn't know. Oh, wait. No, he knew. He not only knew that they would happen, he... Remember, he's on the whole timeline. He's already taken care of it. 
When he says, trust me, he's not saying, trust me, I, I really will do it. No, he's saying, trust me, it's done. You just haven't got there yet. That's comforting to me. That's hard for me to understand, and that's comforting to me too. So um, I, I want to spend a minute, though, because we've talked a lot about Sabbath and why it's important, and all of you are thinking maybe you need to rearrange your Saturday plans, and, or you're wondering if maybe we can just switch it and use Sunday instead. Um, well, you can't because Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. So can't do a replacement Sabbath. That's not how that works. So should we observe the Sabbath? Well, I'm glad you said that. Because it's wrong. No. Um, <laughs> Okay. okay, let's look at let's look at a few things because this is this is a really this is a really good question and it and it is a it is a it is a good question to have and it's good for us to lean into because hold on a second God instituted Sabbath rest in the Garden of Eden before the law was given so even though Jesus fulfills the law did that requirement not exist before the law so certainly that would continue right that was my line of thinking until I really started looking into it. Um, so let's look at what the New Testament actually says. And that, oh, we don't have time for this, but I have to pause and say this right here is why it's so, 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 so important when studying anything theological or doctrinal to look to the text of the Word of God to shape our doctrine and not primarily human reasoning. Because my human reasoning very quickly led me to, well, before the law, probably counts after the law, maybe we should. So what does the text say? I'm going to suggest that that matters more. Colossians chapter 2, verses, you don't have to turn to all these, you can write down the references if you, if you want, this is a, this is a fun study. Um, but Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, uh, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Romans 14.5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. This is really helpful because we have parts of the New Testament scripture written to non-Jewish audiences, and that really helps us today understand where, how this ought to apply to us. Uh, Acts 15. Okay, just some, some context. Acts 15 is, um, is when the, Jeru the first council at Jerusalem happens where the question, Paul comes back from his missionary journey up in Galatia. He kind of started some house churches up there. And he comes back to report to the rest of the apostles. And he, he says, hey, you know, this is what happened. God is doing some amazing work. Some of them already believed. And, you know, people receiving the Holy Spirit. So definitely saved. And it's, it's just awesome. And they were like, just quick question. Um, do you like have a circumcision party and like circumcise all the males there? Or it was like, no, why would we do that? Um, okay, that sounds gross. But the, the question really is, well, hold on a second. Don't you have to like become Jewish to be saved? Like, aren't we like the, the halfway house stop along the way? Like you gotta, you've got to like, become an observant Jew, and then you can then also believe in Jesus. And the conclusion of that council of the apostles, that's like the best church council there ever was because they're all apostles. He's writing, he says, Therefore, verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, what is not on that list? Sabbath. That is very interesting. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I want to end on this and bring it all back to the rest that God gives us, there are two forms of that yoke of slavery that we could submit ourselves to, even as believers in Christ. And they are hedonism and legalism. 
Hedonism is the, is the, the, the philosophy that says that, that pleasure is the highest end in this life. And so we ought to enjoy as much as possible. Life is short, so enjoy as much of, uh, as much of it as possible before you're dead. Hedonism says we ought to pursue fun and pleasure. Well, that becomes a yoke of slavery. Because then we submit again to the temptations of our flesh. And what does the Bible say? You are slaves to the one whom you obey. But the other, the other ditch on the other side of the road, if you will, the other yoke of slavery is legalism, where we, where we submit ourselves again to the law which Christ fulfilled and set us free from. And so that yoke of slavery stands in contrast to what Jesus describes, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the thing, even though Sabbath it was instituted before the law, you know what else was instituted before the law? The promise that someday a deliverer, a rescuer would come. Someday someone would come and fulfill all of this, defeat the enemy and free us from all of that. The law was not a way to God. The law was intended to be a picture of you can't do it. At the end of the law, you don't have to try to observe it very long before you say, I think I just have to throw myself on the mercy of God because I can't do it. That's the point. That was what was supposed to be the takeaway. And that's why grace did not start, the, the idea, whether you want to call it the dispensation of grace or the covenant of grace, that didn't start at the cross. That started way back after the fall. How could Adam and Eve be saved and their children and their children's children? Believe that a rescuer would someday come, that what God said is true. How was King David and people of his time, how were they saved? Believe that someday rescuer would come and God's promise is true. How are we saved today? Believe that the rescuer has come and he is Jesus Christ and his yoke is easy and his burden is light and he has come to give us rest. The rest is from works of righteousness. Not that we don't want to do any. The rest is it's, it's not just from, okay, I should say that differently. The rest is from achieving righteous merit. Here's what, here's what freedom, Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set you free. Here's what that freedom means. That means you are free to try as hard as you can to be what God wants you to be and fail. And not cower before God, wondering when he's going to whack you for it. You are free as a child of God, as a servant in his kingdom, to attempt and fail to meet his expectations, get yourself back up, dust yourself off, and go back to it with no fear of condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean we become hedonists, and it doesn't mean we become legalists. Those are ditches on both sides of the road. Keep it between the ditches. We have rest. Rest in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, Verse 11 of chapter 4 in Hebrews, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Not work hard enough to be righteous enough to get to enter the rest. No, 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 that's what he was talking about that didn't happen. God led them out of Egypt to a promised land, and they were like, I don't think we can take them. And God said, okay, fine, then you can't. If you don't believe me, then you can't enter that rest. And they didn't. They wandered in circles for 40 years till all that generation was dead. And then Joshua led them into the promised land, but that was not the rest. It was sort of a rest. It was a rest from their wanderings. It was a rest from 
you know, being a, a people without a without a place, you know, they 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 got vineyards they didn't plant, cities they didn't build, houses they didn't build. But that wasn't the rest. The rest comes through Jesus Christ from striving after our own righteousness. Now, we can just strive to enter that rest. We can we can revel in the fact that I want to represent God well. And I know I'm going to fall. I'm going to try. And you know what? I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to do okay sometimes, but I'm going to fall down you know, other times. And that's not the end for me. That doesn't mess everything up for me. That doesn't, that doesn't define me. If I belong to him, I, I, am, I am free in Christ to get back to it and, and not fear condemnation. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that as, as we will study soon that we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. And it's not just because you put skin on and became one of us. It's because you made us and you know our limitations. You know our weaknesses. You know we can't do it. That's why you did it for us. God, you, you created this paradigm of redemptive history in which you could showcase to us your mercy, showcase to us your willingness to go all the way, not just meet us halfway. God, thank you for that rest. God, help us. Because even in that, our tendencies are to take it too far one way or the other. We have a selfish tendency to say, oh, great, someone else did it all for me. Now I can do whatever I want, live however I want, be whatever I want. But God, that's not what you've called us to. And there's another side of us that says, well, I better roll up my sleeves and be worthy of that. Pay God back for what he did for me. That's not what you've asked of us either. Just ask us to be your children. To invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. God, help us to be about that. God, I just pray for anybody sitting here today that, that knows you, uh, believes in so much of what we've talked about, but has never really trusted that Jesus' righteousness alone is good enough. God, I pray that you would convict hearts this morning. That our faith would only be in Jesus and not in our own works. God, thank you for that rest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.